Carrie, Carrie, um, so Bowberry, you. Here's the deal. I am still in Florida, in case anybody is asking. And behind me, and I know this is a not a visual medium podcast, but Quinn, would you please describe the image that you see behind me in this photo? Well, I can't tell if you're in the picture, but it's three people uh, posing for a picture, and they're posing by turning their butts to the camera and then looking back at the camera through between their, their legs. between their own legs. So it's now really like might- a butt heavy. It's a really ass heavy and it's weird. My, you know, so that's me. Got it. Um, With some sunburn and blonde hair. That's my brother who mm-hmm. is pretty inflexible, I would say, from that picture. A lot of bent, and there's bent my sister. knees. Yeah. A lot of bent knees. His you and your form sister look great. like you have good yoga form. My mom, I don't know if anybody else's mom loves a photo. Okay. And my mom discovered a couple years ago that you can get any photo on a canvas and it just she <laughs> loves it she absolutely fucking loves it yeah because so, it's not that expensive either it's not that expensive and you could throw it on a canvas i don't know if you can see this wall she has another wall nephews in canvas you know she just mm-hmm. loves the canvas so the thing is is she sent us three pictures from when we were younger and i i want to be clear i think it was a group email i could probably find it somewhere but all of us said hey mom any of these pictures are fine. I don't think you should go with the butt one. Really? I don't think you should go with the butt one. All of us said no to the butt one. Because we're like, this is like, it's wild. Like, I am here. This is like, I am staying here. And this is the background of my Zoom call. Like, this is this is not appropriate, right? Um, <laughs> it's just weird. And my nephews are always like, I could see a butt. Anyway, so we were like, mom, don't, don't use the butt one. And here we are. I don't know if anybody else's mom, but <laughs> it's like, she, I don't know why she asked us. Cause she just wanted to use the butt one. And we all said no, but then she used the butt one because for, it's her house. She can do whatever the fuck she wants. I would have done the butt one too. I like it. I think it's a good you choice. Like it? Yeah. I think it's, it's like happy and funny. So in our, in our business zoom call this afternoon, should I have this in the background? Mm-hmm. Griffin has been um, giving you a run for your money. Oh, I don't know about that. We just had a three-day weekend. So, you know, whenever you have a three-day weekend, we did um, a lot heavy programming on Saturday and Monday and a rest day on Sunday. Um, On Sunday we rest. Yeah, on Sunday we rest. So Saturday we went to... uh, So Griff, by being in 3K, we we did this thing. This is only going to apply to those listening I think that are in New York but if you've got a kid in 3k or even 4k you can get something called a cool culture pass and it's rad like you can cool culture pass yes and it gives you an admission for up to five people to all kinds of places like every museum basically Every museum. You can just be like, here's my cool Wait, culture pass. That's why I've so, seen so many pictures on your Instagram of you like at Liberty Science Center. Like well, you've been Liberty, hitting up. Liberty Science Center is not included on the cool culture pass because it's all things within New York State. However, my sisters got us an annual to Liberty for Christmas. So that's Where why we've is been going Liberty? there. It's in New Jersey. That's all. I had no idea. Yeah. I had no idea where it was, but I saw I was like you know what? They got that car. They're traveling, man. They're well, going we went for to it. Liberty Science yesterday, and it was uh, we were there from eleven to four forty-five. That's great. <laughs> so we saw a lot. We did a lot, and Griff challenged us here and there, but mostly he acted out TV shows at us or. He really likes, he and Koa both have like a very strong affinity for a robot there that solves Rubik's Cubes. And the, <gasps> the robot has kind of a funny attitude where he like shows you the cube and then like so, if he solves it, he like dances kind of. And Griff liked him so much that Griff then just spent the rest of the day doing impressions of the robot. <laughs> so, Oh, I would love to see an impression of him doing the robot. Yeah, it was very cute. Um, And on... I got to tell you, on Saturday, we went to the Children's Museum of Manhattan. And I want to tell you something. It's a piece of fucking garbage. Really? Yeah. It's like not a good museum. It's very limited and 
very uninteresting for anyone maybe over the age of three. Like it felt like they have really minimal exhibits. They like didn't know. Yeah. And they're very um, baby oriented almost. And I just couldn't believe it because I think I'm also just speaking from a place of like when we travel, we try to go to whatever children's museum is in the city we're in and and like Denver Children's Museum slays. And there's the one here in Naples is incredible. I bet. It's so good. It just was like, it's Manhattan. What are you guys doing? Like this is awful. It's just, and, it's just like a glorified daycare, essentially, I would assume. Yeah, that's it was not good. And like Koa knew. And he was like, what's with this, this museum, mom? And I was like, I know. I'm really sorry. So we ended up just spending a couple hours there. And then we... Well, because we're a five-hour museum kind yeah, of family. Yeah, when you go, you go. If, you, if you're going to go to a museum, you stay all day. And, and be- that's and you get your money's worth. Well, so because of Cool Culture Pass, you know what we did? We just left and went 10 blocks up and went into the old Natural History Museum, which was right there. And we were like, Which I cover in our February switch. Patreon, which is problematic. Yes, they've done some problematic things. <laughs> they've but done they some have really a new, shitty things. Um, they have a new extension um, that's very beautiful and a new bug exhibit that was very cool. How do we get some of that money? That the Natural History Museum has? Well, I hmm. just mean that like people <laughs> that like, they will benef- be hard. <laughs> that will be a challenge. <laughs> I just mean they have benefactors. Like, how do we? I mean, we have Patreon, but I just like it. It, it you know, how what, do we get a piece of their Patreon? How do we get a piece of the? Yeah, what, what do we do? What do we need to do? Do we need to get like a degree in museumology? We might. We might have to be smarter and better and in fact completely <laughs> change actually mediums not and to careers. Be, I'm actually not prepared to be smarter or better in any medium. Um, I'm just going to be, I'm going to coast as I am through all of it. I respect it. that infinitely. Speaking of which, when is this episode coming out? February? Oh, please. Who the fuck knows? Who cares? That being said, I'm actually going to be on tour, not in a show that I'm in, but I just got news, and I mentioned it, I think, in previous episodes. But I just got news I'm going to be on the road with a show called The Psychology of a Serial Killer, which is like, I mean, obviously. She sounds like the right woman like, for the job. I'm the right woman for the job. I'm going on tour. It's, um, it's with a like uh, a clinical psychologist by the name of Rachel Tolls, who's big on TikTok. Mm-hmm. And so the show is all about the psychology of serial killers. So I'm really excited. I'm going to be on tour the first half of it. Um, for a month before I go and do my show in the UK. Um, but I'm super stoked. I feel like I'm going to learn so much. Like they're part of the show is like she's going to go through a bunch of different serial killers and talk about their psychology. And then the second half is a, a second half is like a Q&A. And so I'm so excited to get some like expert information and I'm going to bring it back to us. I'm, I'm going to be like a little explorer I am forger. extraordinarily jealous. I think that well, this is such an amazing opportunity and that you're going to get to do basically just a list of things that I, I think are so fun. Well, Quinn, one night, I don't know. I don't know how close I'm going to be to New York. Oh, yeah. But you should totally come. And you get me I a think comp? the last night is like, <laughs> Quinn, don't be dumb. Of course, you idiot. You'd stay with me in a bougie hotel. That's this I'll is the thing. It. You'd come. You'd stay with me in a hotel. Yes, if I'm it's like, driving a- distance from New York, if it's three yeah. hours or under. Yeah, I think Pittsburgh. I think it's going to be in like Pennsylvania somewhere, which oh, is really? not too far away. I'll do it. Oh my be God, careful. that would be so fun. Be careful oh, what you I'm, wish for. I love hotels. I'm, I'm, I'm actively wishing it. I think that's the difference is I'm actively, unless you want to like fly out to Port Portland, Oregon. I'm not in the market <laughs> for any more airline tickets in the year of 2024. <laughs> That is true. You are. I mean, how's wait? By the way, have there been any updates on the passport situation? We got it. We did it, Joe. Congratulations. This is huge. Dyslexia is real. And it is something (laughs) that someone in my family suffers from. No names. Um, Anonymity is important. It's important to acknowledge that only really one can read by themselves fully. So probably. Okay. When applying for my children's passports, that person filled out the paperwork and that person (laughs) scrambled some social security numbers and gave me a minor heart attack that we would not have the kids' (laughs) passports in time for this trip. But we now have both. (laughs) And come on, it's so funny. Like a little kid passport is very funny. So I'm I'm excited to see the pictures and then steal their identities. Oh, yeah. You, I think that's you can like, definitely pass for Griff. Any aunt, any aunt would love to steal an identity. By the way, you're listening to Truly. Darkly. 
Creepy. That's Carrie Epuma. Um, and that's Quinlan Posner. And we're here to thank Gabby M. Gabby M, Gabby M, you Gabby. are so... Gabby. What were you going to say? Thin? I don't know what rhymes with Gabby M. You looked nervous them? like you were going to say like, something terrible. Well, I was just like, I don't know their pronouns. How about, you know, how about but... we just... Gabby, Gabby, you like listening to shows about stabby stuff <laughs> like murder and all kinds of dark stuff. What's wrong with you, Gabby? Just kidding. That's our thing, too. And we love We you. love it, too. And we love you too. Not off to a great start, but I think we're gonna. We're, it's a. It's a. We're gonna get. Ramp. Listen, it's we're been like how up. long has it been? How long has it been since we've a seen month, each other? Maybe. No, three weeks. Same. Has it been a month? It has been a month because you left when? On the fifteenth. I can't even remember anymore. That it's is been crazy so pants. It's been so long. Okay. Ugh. Casey, M, also. <laughs> Every time I say so is soy, just gets Almost so barfed. mad. She went, ugh, ugh. you heard it. Yeah. It makes me laugh so hard. Because it's, it's not a good accent. It's so weird. I read it. I heard it the other day in an episode, and I was like, ooh, I barfed. Ooh, ooh. It was bad. It was so Casey, bad. Casey, Casey, I want to kiss your facey because I love it. Because it's so round and beautiful like the normal shape of a face is. And I, what? Don't I'm trying to jump in. No, I'm trying oh. to jump in. I can't. It's like I'm watching you double dutch and you're just like keep going and I can't find an opening to get in and it's and it's going faster and faster go, and go, my go. brain is Bring a little it foggy. In. Bring no. it in. Casey, don't be spacey. It's a lacy of your bra. <laughs> So sick. Were we good at this once? I can't remember. I have such brain fog right now, and I'm realizing like I've had nothing and so many pills today. You're doing great. I really like what you're doing, and I don't want you to change a thing. Okay, who's next? We'll do one more. Devin C. Devin C, Devin C, are you a part of the Northern Sea? Has anyone seen that on the social media? Because it's super duper scary. I don't even know, but Devin C, Devin C, you mean so much to me. Devin, Devin, we hope you go to heaven. heaven. Do we even believe in it? I don't know. No. What we do believe in is this show, and so do you. And that's true. Who? Who? All right. One more. One more? I don't know. We could do one more, but I don't know if we're ready. Okay. I'm doing this story that I found that I didn't know about. It's based in Hawaii. Um, I got the information from Wikipedia PBS StoryCorps SF Gate. I'm really excited to tell you because Hawaii. Um, let me just make sure I'm saying his name correctly because it's um, Ka Hahavai. Great. You're doing great. Thank you. No one knows Joseph, right. so everyone's going to take your word for it. No, Joseph. people might know Joseph. Joseph is, uh, I would say, like someone that we actually should know, arguably. We actually should know who this guy is. So a little bit of backstory here. I'm going to introduce you to this lady named Talia Massey. Now, Talia Massey, she's a 20-year-old socialite. This is, by the way, in the 1930s. So just like aging where we're at, the style, the fashion. She comes from like a hefty stock of well-known people. Like her family tree includes her like great-great-grandfather, her great-grandfather, some grandfather in her life was the first president of the National Geographic Society. Mm -hmm. Her dad's first cousin was Alexander Graham Bell. You heard of him? He invented the, the fucking telephone. He invented the damn bell, okay? And the Graham so cracker. So she is raised, you know, her mother makes sure she's raised in like an upper upper class sort of hoity-toity vibe. And she marries this guy named Thomas Massey. He is a U.S. naval officer, and he's stationed at Pearl Harbor. So she is stationed in Hawaii with her husband. And I, I don't get a good vibe from this woman, Talia. I think she's, I would say, a little uppity. This woman, um, she actually considers herself to be above the rest of the officer's wives. So oh. she like doesn't have a ton of friends um, and she's sort of an outcast. But it does, based on what I saw, it feels like her being an outcast was actually on her. 
You know what I mean? Like, it seems like she was one that was doing it. It's 1931. Her and her relationship with her husband, Thomas, Talia and Thomas, I don't think the relationship is going well. They would have public fights. They drank a lot. It's 1931, and she's just had her second miscarriage, which sounds very hard. But they also mention that her husband has now put her on probation, which means he wrote an informal set of conditions under which he would continue the marriage. So just get divorced if you find yourself doing that is my suggestion. It's 1931. I think that, like, you know, there's a lot of pressure to stay with you. Divorce rates are low. Abuse is high. She's in Hawaii. It just I don't think this relationship is benefiting anyone, least of all them or their friends, because it's September 12th and she is like the wife of a U.S. naval officer. She's going to go with her husband to a Navy event. You know, they're going to hang out. They're going to go to the, the club, the bar, whatever, a gala. I don't know what this event is, but it's 1130 at night and her husband is like off partying somewhere else. And apparently she gets in a fight with an, a lieutenant that ends with her slapping him and storming out. Holy shit. Which, like, you know... I wonder if that Quinn, was on the husband's list. He was like, quit slapping my superiors. Quit slapping my superiors. Also, <gasps> sidebar, like, Quinn, I brought you to a work, work party. Imagine if you, like, slapped my boss and left. I mean, like, amazing what a move. move. Amazing like confidence. Huge, after the past hors d'oeuvres, and it's 1130 at night, everybody is, I'm sure, shit-faced. Whatever. So, Thomas is at the party he doesn't know this happened and talia's like i'm leaving and so she leaves and she like walks to a nearby dance hall or something but this is around 11 30 at night um and the next thing we know is at 12 20 in the morning between 12 20 and 12 45 talia is walking and she is picked up by a car and when she gets in the car she claims that she has been assaulted and robbed her story is very vague she doesn't claim that there's any sexual assault of any kind or anything like that. So she just asks them. They're like, should we call the police? And she's like, no, please take me home. So they take her home. And it's around 1 o'clock in the morning. And she gets home. She doesn't have any keys to get into her house. So she breaks the window to get in through the back door to get in. So she's like in her house at 1 o'clock in the morning. Her husband is out still partying. He comes home. And she's like, you got to come home. Like she calls him or they're basically he comes home and she's like, I was robbed and assaulted. And he's like, "Okay, we have to call the police. So they call the police. And it's September 13th, 1931. It's very early in the hours of morning. And she her story changes a little bit again. She it's not totally clear how the story changes or when the story changes or frankly, why the story changes. She alleges that she was hauled into this car She was driven to another location. She was dragged out by the brush. She was beaten and she was raped by four or five men. When she is initially logging this complaint, she's there is no identifying details about her assailants, about the assault. She said it was too dark to identify anyone and she didn't have any details of the car. Several hours later, she's like, hey, actually, I do have some updated information. Um, I was assaulted by locals Hawaiian individuals Mm -hmm. um, and she actually gives a license plate number wow now I don't it's very quick please come back to her I don't love this like I'm no, like, you should just see a license plate out your window, write it down, and no, then call it's, that in. It's actually, it's actually worse. Okay, so it's actually worse. So I'm going to give context to what's happened at the same time as her leaving the bar or leaving the party and walking and this assault quote happening. So this guy Horace Ida, he's a Japanese man who lives in Hawaii. Horace Ida has borrowed his sister's car and he's driving with like four or five of his friends and he's driving, I guess, maybe a bit dangerously. I don't know. But essentially, he and this other car pass each other and they nearly collide. It was very close. There was no damage, but it was almost an accident. There's the but two cars Here's the stop. question. You're saying it was yeah. almost an accident. I just want to follow that up with asking, was it almost a rape? <laughs> I would say it was not a rape. Okay, that just checking. Because I so, feel like I know where we're headed. You know where we're headed because, and and again, I I mean, I'm going to describe it. It's 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 um it's very similar to Emmett Till. What happens in this case? So I just, if that's a warning for you, Horace Ida was driving his car with a bunch of his friends. His sister's car. He nearly collides with another car. His friends get out. There is no damage, but there is an argument between like the bunch of guys in his car and this other couple. So much so that his friend Joseph ends up slugging the woman, which like. 
I don't condone punching anyone. But Unless it's her. Joseph, well, I don't know her deal, but Joseph is a boxer, so like he's pretty good at slugging. So hours later, the police round up five of their suspects in regards to this rape, right, that is accused by Talia Massey. There are five suspects that they round up. It's two Native Hawaiians, two Japanese men, and one Chinese Hawaiian man. Horacida is among this group that is getting pulled in, and he's like, oh, I'm getting in trouble for this, like, weird altercation I had where I almost got in a car accident and my friend punched this woman. They don't bring that incident up at all. They just are like, actually, you're here because we think you raped this woman. What happens is Talia lodges this complaint. This altercation happens. The couple from this altercation comes in, reports this case. The police, because they have no foresight, they have no actual sort of, like, methods of deduction, they're like, oh, it actually has to be the same people completely ignoring the fact that these incidents happen very close to one another and it's damn near impossible that this car of four or five men went and attacked this woman right after this altercation like it it just doesn't it's not plausible it's not probable it doesn't make sense but they're idiots and so they're like oh these two have to be connected so they get these five men and they bring them in for questioning and of course, if you recall, her story changes a couple hours after she lodges her complaint, which is to say they believe that police and officers reached out to her and said, hey, is it any chance that it was these four or five men? And here's their license plate number that we have. Does that ring a bell? Oh and so God. she calls back and adds it to her complaint. Now, the assault you're talking about where they punched a woman, that wasn't her. That was That a was not woman. her. That was a separate couple. Yeah. Yeah. Now... Among those that are arrested, obviously, Horace Ida is among those arrested, but um, among those was Joseph Kahahavai. He is a native Hawaiian boxer, and he is the leader of the School Street Gang. Now, to be clear, the School Street Gang is not a gang in any way, shape, or form. It's just a group of friends that he like calls. They're like, they're like, oh, we're a gang of friends. But unfortunately, the media takes this, and they hear about this case, and of course, like, racism and all the like come in and they paint this group of men who have not been tried under the court of law, who have not done anything that this Talia is accusing them of. They label them as thugs, as fiends, as gangsters. Um, They print photos of these men and in them they say they have all all this prior criminal history, but their criminal history that we find out now is, is pretty vague and some of it is taken without context, right? Like some of them they have not been charged for. Some of them are alleged. Some of them are not proven. But they print this in the newspapers and it becomes, it, it spreads like wildfire. And there's this this fear, of course, there's like a predominantly white community in Honolulu near Pearl Harbor. And there's a fear of others, right? There's blatant racism going on in Hawaii. And so they've painted these men as criminals. This case quickly goes to trial and it's in November and they put forth the evidence and the evidence is so conflicting and so fucked. The car accident that they were, or the almost car accident that they were involved in was essentially an alibi. The jury, it deliberated 97 hours. There's no evidence to tie any of these five men to Talia. So it was declared a mistrial and they're going to have a second trial soon. But this is not good enough for the white folks. They believed that justice had not been served. And so they decided to take matters into their own hands. This is led by Talia's mom, Grace Fortescue, and her husband, Thomas Massey. A week later, one of the men, Horace Ida, is kidnapped by a bunch of Navy men and they beat him with belt buckles. They're trying to get force, coerce these confessions out of these men. Then on Friday, January 8th, 1932, a man approaches Joseph. Now, Joseph has is out free. He's awaiting his second trial, but he's out. And this guy, Albert O. Jones, approaches Joseph and he hands him a summons. Joseph does not know this at the time, but the summons is forged. It shows him this document that says that Major Ross, the territorial police commander, needs to bring him in for questioning. So Joseph gets in this guy, Albert O. Jones' car. He's then taken by Jones and Thomas Massey, Talia's husband, and they are driving him to another location. Following them in another car is Talia's mother, Grace, and Edward Lord. They take him to the Fortescue's rented bungalow, and they tie him up, and they try to coerce a confession from him at gunpoint. 
We do not know exactly what happened in this interaction. What we do know is that Joseph dies from a gunshot wound to his heart. He bleeds out. Now this group of four people, they wrap his body in a damp sheet, they put him in the car, and they are driving him towards the bay so they can try and get rid of the body. Meanwhile, the police are alerted that Joseph was kidnapped and they have the car in which he was taken. A police officer sees a car drive by and it matches the description of the car that they know took Joseph. Mm -hmm. So he immediately tails it. He drives this car off the road. He pulls them over. He says it looks suspicious. He looks in the car. He sees Joseph's body wrapped in a damp sheet. He takes everyone in for questioning. Joseph's parents, meanwhile, find out about the kidnapping and they go right to the station to wait for any news. Unfortunately, it's not very long that they find out that he is dead and they have to go to the morgue to identify their son's body. Mm -hmm. At the Fortescue home, they find two guns, bloodstains, Joseph's clothing, rope, and the fake summons, and they're able to put together a story of what happened. Massey, Fortescue, Jones, and Lord are arrested and they're charged with murder. They are white, and while they await trial, instead of waiting in jail where they should be, They are allowed to stay on board a decommissioned Navy ship in incredibly comfortable quarters while meals are prepared for them every day. Joseph's funeral is is a huge affair. People hear about this and especially Native Hawaiians. They come. There are thousands of people at this funeral. It's the largest funeral service for any Native Hawaiian not of royal lineage. Native Hawaiians make up the majority of the crowd, and the police at this point are fearing a riot. So there is a huge police and Navy presence. And they say it's like there's such a massive crowd wanting to pay their respect to Joseph. The police have to create a path so where he is going to be laid to rest. On April 4th, 1932, the trial begins for these four four murderers. The jury consisted of no women, um, but they made up of five white men, two Chinese men, and four part Hawaiian men. The trial lasted several weeks. The jury deliberated for 48 hours. All four were found guilty. However, they were found guilty on a lesser charge of manslaughter, and leniency was recommended. They were sentenced each to 10 years in prison. And this... It's, it's twofold, right? It was not enough, especially for the Hawaiian community. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not justice. This is not fair. This is not right. However, in the area of Pearl Harbor, it is predominantly dominated by a lot of white folks because of the naval base and also the businesses surrounding it. The public outcry from the white folks was so loud and so intense that they even threatened martial law if these sentences stood. It took diplomatic negotiating because the white folks were so loud in their disdain for this ruling, they were heard more than the native Hawaiian folks. And the territorial governor of Hawaii, this guy Lawrence M. Judd, ended up commuting all four of their sentences (gasps) to just one hour served in his office. What? For killing someone? for killing someone in cold blood in cold blood the four of them report to his office which is basically in a palace and they serve an hour for killing joseph they face no other punishment they then immediately flee to the mainland and they never return which prevents also the retrial of the four surviving defendants so remember how i said they were waiting for the second trial yeah of course i'm just wondering why it prevents the Probably trial. because the Massey family, they have no witness. The only witness they have is Talia Massey. Uh-huh. They have, there's no other evidence tying these men to her assault. Okay. Okay, yeah. All right. So there's no way they so can try. So these guys never got off, which they didn't do it. They so didn't do it, and they never like got they off, they and never one get of them like was murdered. clean slate they deserve. Exactly. Judd, the territorial governor, would later say he felt deep guilt over the commutation, which, okay, pound sand, touch grass. Um, I don't know if you'll be surprised to know, but Talia and Thomas, they end up divorcing a couple years later in 1934 because, of course, Talia ends up committing suicide in 1963. 
Thomas dies in 1987, and Fortescue, her mom, dies in 1979. In 2006, Joseph and the four other wrongly accused men, they had a posthumous trial for them, and all of them were found not guilty and their names essentially cleared. But that doesn't take away the pain that the family experienced. And and I think especially with BLM, when that stuff was going on and and the information we have about, you know, colonizing, I think this is such an incredible example of just how these indigenous Native Hawaiians were were treated so poorly and with such injustice, and people got away with killing them. Murder, literally. Yeah. Absolute murder. And his family, descendants of Joseph's family have gone on, and his grave is now a place where every anniversary of his death, people come and they put lays and they celebrate his life. But he's he's only recently come into history books in Hawaii. I think there's been a huge push to change a lot of the history books to reframe Hawaiian history. And um, this case is now being presented in schools as a part of Hawaiian history. And so I wanted to tell the story wow. of Joseph Kahawai, um, who was murdered in cold blood and his attackers got away with it. What a sad story. Yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to get it right because I do think that in these stories, it's like this is a part of history and I do feel like there is such a responsibility in telling these stories, but you also want to tell them correctly and properly and also accurately. And it's stressful. It stresses me out. Totally. So thank you. My story is um, I got from Dateline, Tallahassee Democrat, Washington Post, CBS, and The Cut. We're going to start with... Mike Williams, who meets his wife, Denise, in high school, they're a classic uh, picturesque dream team where he's a football star and the class president and she's a cheerleader and homecoming queen. They're fabulous. And it's young love. They go to a Christian high school And they graduate together as a couple and then both go to Florida State University. And after graduation, they have a little baby girl. Denise becomes a CPA. Mike gets his real estate license. Things are going great. Welcome to Florida. Mike is a really rock star husband. The dateline that I watched details that in a pretty hysterical way, I thought. Which I want to make fun of Denise for this, but I also... I don't know how to parallel park. So I want to say that (laughs) and admit my own shortcomings out loud and then go on to say that one of the things Mike's coworkers remember is that she would pull up in front of his work. There was a gas station across the street and she'd go there and she'd call him and he'd be like, oh, I'll be right back. And he'd run out of his office to go across the street to pump his wife's gas. Oh, yeah. Isn't that it's like, sweet? It's such a delicate balance between helpless and chivalrous, though. You know what I mean? Like, are we? Yeah. Is there, yeah. He uh, was also the cook. And the like. He was also the cook. So Denise won the lottery with Mike. Denise? Everybody are you just likes that Mike. she has someone cooking for her? Is that why you feel? Um, I wish I had someone cooking for me. Mike sounded like a great guy. But this is like the classic Dateline trope as well, oh, where they fuck. definitely were like, Mike lit up a fucking room and you're like, shit. And he's okay. Dead. He's All dead. Right. Bye. Bye, Mike. Bye, Mike. Um, Bye. And sure enough, what happens is that they are having an anniversary trip and they are near Lake Seminole in Georgia. And Mike, who is 30 at the time, very good hunter, knows what he's doing, gets up really early to go duck hunting She's at the whatever romantic place they're staying at. They're going to have a great day. But he doesn't come home from the hunt. Oh, fuck. So she starts to make phone calls when he's not showing up to his brother, his parents, his friends. And people start to get nervous and they start to show up at this lake and try to figure out what the fuck happened to Mike. His best friend, Brian Winchester, shows up. They've been friends since grade school. It was a situation where, like, Brian and his wife, Kathy, were besties with Mike and Denise, and the four of them went and did a lot together. So 
Brian shows up and he and his dad have a big spotlight and they're going around the lake with it and they find Mike's boat and it's empty. Oh, and they're like, no. this is weird because the decoys are in the boat and it just doesn't look like he ever made it to hunting. Like, what happened? Did he fall off the boat? That seems really weird. Um, there are a lot of tree stumps under the water. Maybe he fell out and hit his head or something like this. Maybe he was going really fast and the boat hit a tree stump and he flew out of the boat. Uh, they can't really figure it out. But it is one of those things where when you're hunting, you wear waders. And yeah. if those fill up with water, imagine that they act like they would like weight you down. Oh, like shit. Like if you fell in the water in waders, that would be really treacherous. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's like a new fear unlocked. I know. That's it's like very a new... scary because you wouldn't connect the two like I didn't. And then when they did that on Dateline, I was like, oh, my God, I would never think about that. Well, and I just like, like imagine they have like it's like Paddington Bear, like it has the suspenders, so you can just be like. I think I'm they like, do have out. that actually, but imagine that you're struggling. There's also alligators in the water, so people are making Jesus. guesses, and they're these guesses are not cheerful ones as to what's happened to their friend and another buddy of his, because Mike was a popular guy. Scott um, Dungy, he's there, and he um, goes up in a helicopter as part of the search. And he's like, I'm in this helicopter, and I see there's like 15 to 20 gators out there. I mean, this could have been what happened. This is very scary. They don't see him, and then on the third day, they find a hat, and they show it to his bestie, Brian, and they're like, do you know this hat? And he's like, Buck, I think that's Mike's hat. And he goes and finds a picture. And he's sure enough, he's wearing that hat in the oh, picture. God. And they're like, yeah, that does look like it's his hat. Months and months go by. They don't find Mike. But they do eventually find those waders in the oh. water. One thing that's interesting is the waders don't have any marks on them. They look new. They don't look like they've been chewed on by an alligator for instance mm -hmm. um but weirder yet is that if they were sitting in the lake for months even like they should look like that they shouldn't look new they should look i don't know which like they should, should be have stuck shit to on them. them they should have dirt totally. on them yeah yeah they should look like garbage and they look great so they don't close this case they are because they haven't found a body either they keep digging and in the meantime, Denise is now widowed and has this baby girl she's taking care of by herself. She, there's like obviously some life insurance stuff that comes into play where mm -hmm. sure he has life insurance. She doesn't really know how to like cash in on it. But Mike's best friend, Brian, is the one that like brokered the life insurance claims. He's okay. a life insurance broker. So he's like, I'll help you figure it out. Um Brian. So he figures it out, helps her cash in on it. Uh, it's been a year now since Mike vanished. And Denise says that she is seen like a counselor to help her get through this. And they suggest that she say goodbye, more or less. So she goes to the lake and she brings a flower and a note to him. And she goes and takes some time by herself, um, a coworker is there with her and it's very sad and she has to go say goodbye. Meanwhile, she's saying goodbye. She's mourning. She's closing the book in a way on this. Mm -hmm. Mike's mom is like, the book is open because <laughs> I don't think my son was eaten by an alligator. I think that something else is going on. This is it's worth seeing the dateline to see this woman, Cheryl Williams, Mike's mom. She is called a bulldog with pigtails, and she is exactly that. She's like this tiny, feisty woman, and she's old, and she wears pigtails, like very, very prominent pigtails. It's a it's a look, you know. <laughs> she I loved her so much. She runs a daycare. And she makes the kids in the daycare make missing posters. 
with her. Oh she's my like, okay, God. everyone, get She out. has a child. Oh, my God. Get it's a child labor shop. And she's incredible. doing, like, the outline incredible. of letters and making them color it in. And she's making them do missing posters. She's using child labor to find her child. But, but for good. Can I say, but for good. I respect it. But for good. I'll let kids do work if it's for good. And that's People, for good. People kind of think she's a kook in the town. Uh, um, I don't know why. I don't know what seven-year-old woman with pigtails you wouldn't call a kook. No, but she's very, uh, she's determined. I mean, it's her child. And she ends up going straight to the governor. And she's giving the governor notes and notes and notes, pages of notes and evidence and writing to him every day and being like, she writes him for nine years. And... She contacts wildlife experts and the wildlife experts, she's like, what do you think? I don't think that my kid got eaten by an alligator. And they're like, we don't really either because it's the winter. It's just the wrong month for it. They would have been hibernating in a hibernation state, like sluggish. Uh, Four years after Mike goes missing, some big wig criminal investigators are like, we're going to take this case. We think it's weird, too. In, and I think it, a lot of the reason why they do it is Cheryl. Cheryl's pushing, pushing, pushing. And this causes a rift yeah. between her and Denise because Denise is like, I need to put this behind me. And I am. I have a daughter. You're confusing her. Yeah. You're making her think that her dad's alive. I don't think he is alive. Wait, and I she don't thinks think it's he's positive. alive. She thinks he's alive. She, yeah. I mean, I think that she does, or she thinks that something shady happened. I, I don't really recall Cheryl being definitive about what she thought happened. She just, okay. her blink was going off and she wasn't going to drop it. And She I wasn't think satisfied that, until she knew what the fuck was happening. And I think Denise is like, I do actually want to, I need to drop it. I need to move on. Uh, and Denise has started dating people. She dates here and there. Nothing really sticks. Uh, and then, wouldn't you know it, she Brian? ends up in a relationship with Brian. You know what this is giving me? It's giving me ghost. It's giving me a little <gasps> bit of ghost. Oh, completely. Completely. Right? And then they start making pottery together, she and Brian. Quinn, you're lying. I am lying about that. Okay. But Brian I, was gonna say, this is, she, I knew Brian was going to be there, and I was like, this is ghost. Where's Whoopi? Right. Where the fuck is Whoopi? Well, and it doesn't happen on a ghost timeline. Brian and Kathy got divorced. They end up together, Brian and Denise, five years after. Well, they're dating. I think they get married, actually, five years after he goes missing. Brian moves. Okay. The, this okay. part is very upsetting. Brian moves into the house. No. Mm-hmm. So it's this Rude. thing of like he now lives in his old best friend's house and he's raising no. his dead best friend's no, 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 daughter. No, 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 I don't like it. It's like it. a single like white it. male vibe. It's, no, I don't like it. I don't no, like it. I don't very like it. I don't terrible. Like it. And she, you can imagine Cheryl's like, is anybody else fucking seeing this? In her pigtails? She's yes. like, I'm the fucking kook. Yeah. I'm the kook. Yes. Hell no. And those insurance policies that, again, Brian helped file, they were a lot of money. They were one point seven five million. I don't trust Brian fucking million. guy. I don't... 1.7 million? He sold them to Mike. Yeah, and Brian sold them to Mike, and... I don't trust this guy. And the waiters that they found was part of why they were able to, to like, declare death, you know? Like, because you, she oh. couldn't collect on it when they don't find a body, but then when they find the waiters, they're like, he's clearly dead. We found the waiters. We found the boat. We found the everything. He's dead. But obviously because of that tie-in, the police are now, the investigators are like, let's keep our eye on this couple because as long as they're a couple, we're probably not going to find out that much. But, but like if, if they break up and there's anger there, some of someone might talk. Exactly. Someone might sing like a canary. Exactly. And with if we think that their relationship started and either one of them knows anything, that would add an underlying tension that would suggest that might be a hard relationship to maintain, right? Oh, my God, yeah. So in 2012, seven years into their marriage, it does start to fall apart. And Denise wants to get divorced. He moves out of the house. And in August of 2016, so four years later, Brian hides in Denise's car. (gasps) She leaves to go to work and he pops up like a jack in the box with a gun. No. And she drives to a mall and like talks him down basically where she's like, what are you trying to do? I love you. Don't do this. Don't do whatever you're planning. And 
he's like, I guess I was going to kill myself. And she's like, were you going to kill me too, though? Be honest. And it does seem like probably he was because he brought along a tarp and bleach, which seems like an unnecessary ingredient if you were just going to commit suicide. So he's freaked out and she talks him into letting her go, being like, I'm not even going to tell anybody this happened. She definitely tells people this happened right away. Always alive until if I'm ever kidnapped and I say I won't tell anyone, you have to believe me. I won't (laughs) tell anyone. Okay, honor system. Honor, honor, I won't tell anyone. So she goes to the police and is like, my ex-husband is Cucurelli Bing Bong trying to murder me, do murder suey. Like, I'm freaked. And they're like, great, (laughs) let's talk about it. But really, they're like, we don't care. We want to figure out if he killed Mike. So they bring her in and they're talking to her about this incident, but then they sort of are sneaking in the questions where they're like, and about your husband. And, and by the way, by the way, just to circle back about husband and she'll be like, one. Oh, I'm not here to talk about that. And they're like, yeah, yeah, but we are. So they keep bringing it up and she starts crying and being like, I don't know. I don't know. That's not who I married. The person I married is a stranger, though, because whoever did this crazy thing to me today was not the person I married either. She's pretty shaken up, and they don't get anywhere necessarily, but what they're able to do is now they are going to arrest Brian because of attempted kidnapping. Totally. Well, not attempted. I mean, kidnapping. I guess he was successful, and he pleads no contest, and Denise is like, I want him to go to jail forever because I think he would have killed me and I need to feel safe. So I want him to have a life sentence. The judge doesn't give him a life sentence, but does give him 20 years. But this still has nothing to do with Mike. This is just about the kidnapping. Then the next day after he goes to prison, they obviously went in and had a chit chat with him because can I tell you something? What? The next day they find Mike's body. No. So you know there was a conversation where they were like, tell us where Mike's body is, bro. Just tell us. They find his skeleton. It's in a shallow grave. It's it's near a different lake outside town. But the next thing they do after getting the body is they arrest Denise. And they charge her with first degree murder. They say that she and Brian conspired together. She says, no, we didn't. And she pleads not guilty. But here's the kicker. They don't even charge Brian. What? He, they had to make a deal to get any of this info on her. So they're like, you're already in jail for 20 years. But is we he a reliable won't... witness? Is he like a... Re- like? This is such an excellent question. So let's go through the trial. It's been 18 years, by the way. Denise's trial begins. Her poor you kids. got Cheryl po- sitting behind the uh, the witness stand, her little eyes peeking up. She's pretty short in her pigtails, you know. <laughs> this bulldog she like going Angela. at. She looks like Angela uh, and what is Angelica Pickles? She yes. looks like- <laughs> you got Kathy, Brian's ex-wife, saying, Oh yeah, he was and Denise were definitely having an affair. And they're like, Well, what makes you think that? And she's like, Well, they asked me to have a threesome with them. <laughs> So that was like a good indication to me. Ballsy, ballsy move. Mm-hmm. Ballsy and move. she says that Denise tried to get her to engage in this cover-up after the fact. And Brian goes on the stand, their star witness who has immunity. He's been in jail two of the 20 years already. And he says, here's the deal. Denise and I were having a secret affair for about three years. We went to a Sister Hazel concert in 1997. Highly things romantic. Things kind of took off from there, yeah. Yeah, we, we had a smooch session there, and then things escalated. We started going on secret trips together. We started, you know, visiting each other while our spouses were at work. And years and years go by, and we're still two couples that are friends with each other. And I'm out hunting with Mike one day, and Mike suddenly falls into uh, a sinkhole, basically, like quicksand while we're walking around. And he's totally like in trouble. And yeah, I saved him. I grabbed him and I pulled him out. And I remember that after the fact, I kept thinking about it. And then I, I said to Denise, you know, this happened. And if I hadn't been there, he'd have just disappeared. He'd have disappeared. 
And in a weird way, wouldn't that have sort of solved everything? And it's oh kind of God. crazy that I stepped in and saved him. And oh from God. there, we did we planned his murder. And we decided what if one time we were out on no. the lake or hunting and there was an accident? What if he didn't come back? Because she didn't want to get divorced because she's very religious. Oh, fuck and that. Yeah, but death She doesn't want to fight for custody of the, of the daughter. And here's the thing. Widows get sympathy. Widows get life insurance policies. So oh, my God. So she was involved? This is his testimony. testimony. Thank you. Thank he you. says the plan was I would go. It was like the least amount of murder possible was the goal, which is to say <laughs> oh we're going to go least. out together on this boat and go hunting. <laughs> and his plan was get him in the water and don't save him. And maybe he has a free pass because he did save him that other time, but he's not going to save him this time. But his thought was the waiters are going to make him sink. How? I don't – that – how? So they go out on a boat together. He's with his best friend. Mike's That's with his fucked. best friend. And his That's best so friend gets fucked. him to stand up and then pushes him in the water. No. Then he boats away from him so that he can't reach the boat. And he's watching him. And he's struggling. And he's not helping him. And then he takes off the waiters. And he's like, oh, fuck, he's going to get out of this. But he has a gun with him and he loads it and he boats on over and shoots his best friend in the head. He drags him ashore. He puts him in his truck and he drags out to Tallahassee and like buries him. Oh, my God. Then he gets a phone call that Mike's gone missing. He tells his dad and he's like. My dad loved Mike so much. He was like, we got to find him. And I went with my dad to look for my friend that I had just fucked. fucking killed. You're fucked. You're he staged fucked. the hat that they found three days later and he staged it to try to help with and he threw the waiters back in and he did all that stuff because and that's why the waiters were clean, you know, but he did all this stuff to be like, stop looking. This guy's dead. This guy got eaten and to help Denise get the money. Now, Denise's defense is this story is all true except for the part that involves her. And he was obsessed with her. So, yes, they had an affair. But he became obsessed with her and wanted it to be more and wanted to make a way for him to get into her life. And it's interesting because even when they're like, were you obsessed with Denise in the trial? He's kind of like, well, obsessed is a strong word. You know, you feel him kind you of tried like to kill a little her. bit. Yeah, I don't think she was good for him that he did the kidnapping thing. I don't think she was involved. Well, so that's what the defense will say. And they'll say he's going to get away with murder if he says it's her. That's what gets him off. Like then they're like, we're not going to try you for murder at all because you you ratted on her. One thing that is also in Denise's defense's favor is that when he was going to trial for kidnapping, he was doing crazy stuff to fuck with the evidence. He was he was doing anything he could to ruin that trial, very illegal things. Mm-hmm. And he would do anything, and they say that. They're like, weren't you doing all these things to tamper with the evidence and to screw things up and telling all these lies to get out of having to serve time for this kidnapping? And he's like, yeah, right. I absolutely did that. And they're like... And did you try to have her so, killed? And he's like, no, 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 no. Hold up. I met somebody when I was in jail that was like, if you want me to kill her, I will. And I was like, don't ever talk to me about that again. And they're like, oh, because that's where you draw the line. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to murder Denise to stay out of Until prison. Until he tried to kill her in I'm the I'm not going to murder Denise to stay out of prison. They're like, OK, but you would do anything else. And he's like, yes. And at one point, the lawyer says to him, you're a murderer. And he goes, is that true? And Brian goes, yes. And he goes, and you're a liar. Is that true? And Brian goes, yes. Yeah. (laughs) So it doesn't look great where you're like, so this guy, the lawyer even says in the dateline, he's like, people don't, you can't usually get people to say uh, in trial on the stand, I am a liar. And he does. So it becomes this thing where they're like, why the fuck would we ever believe your testimony that Denise was behind this? You were behind it. You did it alone. You wanted the money. You wanted the wife. You wanted the life. And you did all of it. Yeah. But Denise is found guilty. 
Okay, because he has immunity. So the thing is, is they, they can't want actually someone try to serve. Him. Maybe they want I someone don't... to serve. That's totally what it happened. could be. She gets a mandatory life sentence for it, and an additional thirty years for the conspiracy, like conspiring Wait to commit so murder. She gets more time than he does, and he tried to kill her. That's right. But two years after that happens, a judge in an appellate court uh, throws away the murder conviction. Then they're like, the only reason that this conviction came about was like his testimony. There was no other they evidence. They didn't have really any it. evidence. And so they're like, mm, this is really flimsy. So they do throw it out. But they just because her murder conviction gets thrown out, she still is yeah. serving 30 for the conspiracy. That that stands. Wait, so the she poor is daughter, in prison the poor serving more time. And Brian... The bigger thing is that he will just end up serving exactly zero years for a murder that everybody had to listen to him tell the story of and just say, yes, I absolutely killed my friends. What fucking disappointing stories we have with no justice. Ain't no justice, just us. Ain't no justice, just us. This, This is a shit episode for justice. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry about this week's theme, y'all. This week's theme is... Oh, God, it's dark. It's very dark. He, like, totally gamed the system. He gamed the system, and when you're... And I would recommend watching the Dateline episode. Um, It's called, like, Secrets at, at the Lake or something. It was a really good episode because they have a lot of... um, They have, like, her when she goes in after the kidnapping, and it's just I interesting to watch. I don't think she did it. I don't know. I don't think she did well, it. Here's something that that I would say is interesting. He says that he came back from doing it and told her and was like, I killed him. And she was kind of had this feeling of like, I don't want to know where yeah. he is or what's going on. But she did. I'm pretty mixed on it, to be honest with you. I don't find her... I don't find it She's compelling. She's not as likable as Cheryl. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. I don't know. Ugh. The fact that if she had, like, not ended up with him. Yeah. That part that she, like, they do end up together. Yeah. Throws me. And even the kidnapping thing throws me because part of me thinks that he's scared that she knows. Oh, interesting that there was like another reason why he wanted to kill her. Yeah. And that there was like a, I don't want anyone to ever know I killed him. So I'll kill you and kill myself. And then at least like, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, what I will say is, it's not not good. It's not good. What I'll say is, I find the fact that he, got away with it and didn't have to go through a murder trial just astounding yeah yeah i don't think that they made I mean, a good the trade because i think to be- that they could have gotten a, i don't think i don't think it was a good trade i just don't think they needed that the prosecutor had to kick themselves like that to make that deal before he says it like that that's a crazy deal to make. Like, I wonder how much. And maybe, like, we got him for 20 years. Like, what? Like, maybe they were like, we got him for this. So, we like, that just seems like a, a shitty deal. It feels like a shitty deal that he got. Because they could have, like, tried him for conspiracy or something along with her as opposed to trying him for murder. I don't know that. Oh, God. I mean, I'm. Ugh. I hope Cheryl felt content to know that her where that her what happened to her son. You know what I mean? Like that is the silver lining that I'm gonna I'm gonna hold on to in this episode is like in both of them the silver lining is like these men that I talked about posthumously were found not guilty and their names were cleared. It's like it's cold it's cold comfort. And for her it's like she knows what happened to her son and she was able to lay her son to rest. You know, that yes, that answer was that solved. Somebody got closure is like the best we're oh, gonna get. God, but it's what a shitty ugh. Ugh. I knew it, Brian. I didn't trust fucking Brian Man from the beginning of that story. It's ghost. I didn't trust. It's totally ghost. Except it's totally ghost. Demi didn't fucking conspire. That's wild. That's fucking wild. That's what I think Quinn? that's why you, you can't that's believe crazy. Denise did, is that you're picturing Demi 
I'm picturing a cute, like, wedge yeah. Dorothy Hamill short haircut with, like, a great button-up blouse in a beautiful New York apartment that nobody should be able to afford. I'm imagining it, you know? And I do, my, my heart breaks for their child because she's lost both parents. Yeah, yeah. Both parents are gone. She, That's she, fucking and, well, awful. And she came forward. She was so old by the time her mom went to, to jail. She was in her 20s. 18 I years. Mean, yeah. And Ugh. she... This she is her whole went, life. You know, her whole life she, is I think she was allowed to speak in the trial and say, I, I absolutely don't think my mother did this. But I also can't imagine it's like she you yeah. didn't know your dad. Yeah. You know? I don't know. I'm just going to mention her stepdad. Ugh. Gross. Brian so gross. sucks. Horrible. I think we can all agree. Fuck Brian. Agree. Fuck Brian. All right. Three cheers. All right. And and that is fuck Brian, hip hip hooray, fuck you today. All right. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this no justice no peace episode jesus christ well there'll always be next week